Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Revelation chapter 3, for our Bible reading this morning, we've come to Christ's words to the church in Philadelphia, and I'm going to read verses 7 to 13 of our reading. After uh, we have this reading, we're going to have on the screen a song uh, that we know and love here at Trinity, O Church Arise, and this song is all about Christ making his people strong, not, not our own natural strength, is it? Uh, but in our weakness, Christ himself coming to us and holding and keeping us. And I think you'll see exactly why we're going to sing that song. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ has a way of coming into our lives and switching round the price tags of everything that we hold dear. We know that. Many of you know that. What what we used to think was priceless, beyond compare, actually now we think is worthless. What we used to have no time for at all, now we hold in the highest possible esteem. Last July, we lost Jim Packer, J.I. Packer, one of God's greatest gifts to the church, certainly in my generation. Jim Packer gave us many things that we should cherish. And right up there for me, number one, is that Packer showed us how great God is when we see how weak we are. Here's what he says. God doesn't allow us to stay with the idea that we are strong. Oh, we may have that idea, but the Lord is going to disabuse us of it one way or another, and it will be good for us. And it will give glory to him when he does so. Oh, we love strength, don't we? 
We love strength. We love it. You know, I, I once heard a football coach explain to a room full of proud parents as, as they gathered together to hear about the great team that their son had been picked to play for. And the football coach, his opening words were, he said, I am here today to prepare you for disappointment. That is my job, to prepare you for disappointment. One day your son will be told he is surplus to requirements at this football club. It might be next year when he's 10. And we have to tell you that he hasn't quite developed enough. He's not good enough. It might be when he's 35 and somebody has to sit him down and tell him, you're finished, your knees are shot, your legs are gone, you're past it. One way or another, disappointment is coming, that coach said. Why did he say that to us, to parents that day? Because that world and what it offers is all about strength. It's about football, isn't it? It's what football's about. It's competition. You have to be strong to succeed, strong to win. And when you are no longer strong, your best days are done. Jim Packer again, in our society, strength is applauded and weakness is thought of as a defect. It means that you've missed the best in life if you're weak. From age seven, I felt weak. I was chased out into the street by a fellow student. I collided with a truck and as you would expect, the truck got the better of the exchange. They were afraid my brain might have suffered as a result of the accident I didn't use the word weak in those days to describe myself, but that is the word that captures the feelings. I can still remember the feelings. I have now reached the point in life where I am wearing out physically. I can't have many more years left. And as I wear out, I find myself feeling weak. Trinity Church family, I first read us those words from Jim Packer back in 2015, a sermon in 2015. Now here we are in March 2021. Last year for Jim Packer, weakness overcame his body once and for all, and God took Packer home. Let me ask you today, do you feel more weak now, 2021, than you did in 2015? Many of us do, don't we? Many of us feel more weak naturally, physically. It's six years on. But I hope you feel it too spiritually. This awful pandemic that we're living through, these awful days of lockdown, they have robbed us, haven't they, of strength and robbed us of our strength internationally, nationally, locally. And we feel weak. I feel weak, so weak as your pastor, so I feel so inept now at all the parts of my work that normally bring me joy and hope and encouragement. We we feel weak as a church family, don't we? We are thinning out from each other. We feel it week by week, month after month. And yet I wonder if this again is the kindness of God towards us, unexpectedly, to, to have us to have us right where He wants us in the palm of His hand. For I think today from Revelation chapter 3, as the Lord Jesus speaks, he, he, he is just asking us to click refresh on our browsers one more time and look again at what impresses us. Reset your contentment settings today, the Lord Jesus is saying from 
this letter, chapter 3, reset your contentment settings. For here is a weak church, but it is friends with Jesus. A weak church that is friends with Jesus. The best of friends, intimate friends. This is an astonishing thing, isn't it? Remember, along with the church in Smyrna, the church in Philadelphia here today, these are the only two churches to draw only praise and encouragement from Jesus. Only praise. These are the churches that are suffering the most. Friends, suffering gives you an intimacy with Christ, an acquaintance with him like nothing else. So two ways here, two ways for us to see today in which the Lord Jesus meets this church in their weakness. And as he meets them, he does two things. I want to show you them. Number one, the Lord Jesus uses weakness to show us who he is. And number two, the Lord Jesus uses weakness To show us what he gives. Weakness to show us who he is. Weakness to show us what he gives. So so, so just look at this with me. The weakness of this church is obvious, isn't it? You can see it straight away. Verse 8. I know your works. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You have but little power. You are small, weak, insignificant. And so look, because this church, because of it, because it is weak, the Lord Jesus wants to show them both what he gives and show them who he is. Here are things you do not really appreciate about the Lord Jesus Christ unless you know you are weak, until you're weak. Everything that matters most here in this passage is all about who Christ is and what he offers. Verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and who and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. See, doors are places of welcome, aren't they? Or exclusion at the boundary lines of the world. That, that's what a door is. It's a, a boundary line, a marker. It's either a place of welcome or a place of exclusion in the world. Doors, gates... Entrances are the thing that lets you cross a boundary line over a threshold or it is a thing that keeps you in the cold on the outside. If you're watching today, I guess, most likely in your home, you, you, you don't live in my home, uh, but you come to visit, uh, Nicholas Sturgeon lifts the restrictions and you pop along at some point to come in. You arrive on Beechgrove Avenue and straight away as you stand outside our house, there is a boundary. There's a little garden wall in front of you. You can cross that. There's no gate. You cross from the pavement onto the front door path. And then you hit again another boundary, a door, the real boundary. There's no mistaking this one, is there? This is granite and timber and glass. And the only way in is through that wooden rectangle right in front of you. All the way down Breachgrove Avenue, there are terraced houses with boundary, boundary, boundary all along the way. We live in here, and you live out there on the other side. 
The world is like that, isn't it? There, there are lines we may not cross, places we may not go, unless somebody opens the door and invites us in. The palace, the estate, the parliament, the temple, the tabernacle, the holy of holies, heaven. How do you get in there? How do you, how do you walk up to the boundary line and safely cross the boundary line so that you belong on the inside? You need an open door, don't you? You need someone with a, a key in the lock to swing it wide open. Look what Jesus says here in verse 7. I have the key of David. The key of David. The, 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 these words in verse 22, they come from Isaiah chapter 22. The key of David, it's a way of saying that, well, David, the keys to the kingdom are in the king's hand. The king has access to the kingdom. I don't know if you saw on the day of Joe Biden's inauguration, there was a little snippet in the news that when Joe Biden and his wife left all the ceremonies and made their way to the White House, there was a brief 10-minute kerfuffle outside the White House. They could not get in, and no one had the key. And people weren't sure whether it was just an innocent mistake or a final bit of uh, mischief from Donald Trump on his way out, hiding the key or not allowing someone to give them access. If the president cannot get into the White House where he lives, we are in trouble. If the king can't open the door to the palace, there's a problem. And Israel's king, David, had responsibility for the whole kingdom. And if you wanted to be safe, to be secure, to be saved, you needed to walk in the door to the kingdom and have the king himself open the door and shut the door again behind you. It is a beautiful picture that it is the king opening the door and closing the door. And so Jesus is saying here to this small, despised, overlooked, insignificant church that he has put in front of them the door to salvation, the door to safety, and this door will never swing shut in their faces. Doors are one thing, aren't they? One thing to come up against the door, but an open door. Ah, that's a different thing altogether, isn't it? Oh, how we need an open door. Driving here today all over our city again, the sorrow of closed door after closed door after closed door all along the high street, all over the city just now. That is life, isn't it? No life here, no opportunities, nothing happening, lights off, closed. But an open door. Oh, an open door is the way to life, isn't it? To health, to wholeness. You, you remember those images from the last few years of the terrorist attacks in London? Men uh, with knives in their hand, intent on maiming and killing and harming, running down streets looking for victims. What, what, are their, what are their running victims looking for? What are they searching for? For an open door. A door that they can push open and find safety from danger on the other side of it. The door... What did the Lord Jesus say? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Oh, we are on the outside of where God is. We, we cannot enter his presence and live, can we? Like the queen at Buckingham Palace, you don't just rock up and ring the doorbell and ask to come in. 
No, we, we, we cannot walk through the door into God's presence and live. By nature, we are separate and far off from him. Somebody has said that sin, like a great barrier wall, rises between us and our maker. The sense of guilt makes us afraid of him. The sense of his holiness keeps us at a distance from him. We are born with a heart at war with God. And the longer we live, we become more and more alienated from him. The very first questions in religion that must be answered are these. How can I draw near to God? How can I be justified? How can a sinner like me be reconciled to him, my maker? How can I walk through the door of the universe to him? Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Jesus has set before his church an open door, an open door. You know, as the curtain hung there in the temple, that, that, that curtain was as thick as a man's hand. And from top to floor, at tremendous height and tremendous length and at tremendous thickness, that curtain said, no entry, no access, door locked. And as the Lord Jesus died, it's as if God takes the curtain down. And what does he replace the curtain with? A door, an open door. And the Lord Jesus is standing there beside the open door. That, that, that's what Hebrew says. Jesus' body is where the curtain used to be. And it is the only way to be saved. The only way to get from outside where God is into where Jesus is, is by going through him. For every other religion on earth, Jesus and Jesus alone is the door to God. No entering by Jesus, no access to God. You see, we, we're always looking for doors, aren't we? Always looking for doors. To uh, Our society is obsessed with portals to pass through to life. New life, abundant life on the other side. We are always looking for doors to save us. Isn't that right? What, what's the door that's being discussed at the minute? A vaccine passport, a, a key, a door opener. You want to travel this summer? You're going to need a key, something to get you in. What, what, what do we think will save us? What is the open door we think will save us at this point in 2021? Chances are it is some liquid in a little vial and a very sharp needle. Vaccine. Oh, we want, we want to walk through doors to new life all the time, don't we? We want a new relationship, a new job, a better job, a, a better relationship, a better body. We want to walk through the door of the degree. The change in rota at work every year in January, New Year's resolutions roll around, don't we? And we, we think that our New Year's resolutions are a doorway to salvation. Walk through here and all will be different this year. 
Oh, friends, our world is longing for a savior, just longing for a savior, isn't it? Heroes abound on every side all around us, from William Wallace to multi-million pound Avengers films. What we are looking for is someone who is good enough and strong enough and big enough to carve a hole in this broken world that we can walk through to light and life on the other side. We want a saviour, one man to rule us all, to lead us all, to save us all. Someone who is like us but not like us, better than the rest of us in every way. And here is, what does he say, verse 7, the words of the Holy One, the True One. Oh, his hand is true, his eyes are pure like blazing fire. His heart is righteous. His words are sharp and true like a two-edged sword. With him, with this man, there are no skeletons in the cupboard. What you see is what you get. No shadows. You know, in all all the recent scandals and controversies of Christian leaders, somebody put on Twitter the other day, the, the most beautiful thing about the Lord Jesus is that as you spend eternity with him, we will discover there are no hidden shadows in him. Nothing. We will never discover anything about him unpleasant. The words of the Holy One, the True One. Only Jesus builds a door to salvation and he, he He puts it in front of this church, says the door is open, wide open. Walk through it to him. Here is the true hero, the true savior. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. Psalm 146, put not your trust in princes. Put not your trust in princes. People say it all the time, that that pastor... That, that preacher, that, that, that Christian leader, that author, that they're so wise, they preach so well, their books are amazing. Look at their church, it's so great. His manner is so gentle. I, I feel okay when they're around, if they're praying for me, if they're on the case. Put not your trust in princes, friends. You know why? Psalm 146, you know why it tells us not to do that? When that leader's breath departs, he will return to the earth. And on that day, all his plans will die. He's mortal. Human leaders will will either fail you or leave you. Every single time they will fail you or leave you. Every single time. Fail or leave, they'll die. But Jesus lives forever. You know, you know, some of us watching today with a passage like this open in front of us, we just feel so weak, don't we? I know we do. So weak. Somebody, somebody asked you to describe the inside of your head. You would just say, I'm tired. I'm tired on the inside. My, my brain is tired. My heart is tired. I'm sore. Bits of me up here just aren't working like they used to. My my reactions are off kilter. My anxiety levels are high. I'm I'm weak. Some of us are so weak physically. Not just in mind but in body. Illness has come way too soon, too early. Our, Our strength has been ravaged. We're weak. Many of us, I know, watching this are weak spiritually, aren't we? We're, we 
the, 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 this lockdown has gone on so long where we're, we feel like, well, we feel like body parts floating in the digital ether cut off from the head. All the individual parts of a church family floating around a city, no longer bonded together, wedded together like we are week by week. We're like fingers and thumbs, not connected to the heart or to the head anymore. The, 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 the body parts still move, but they're weak. No baptism, no Lord's Supper, no in-person in preaching to real people unmasked who laugh and cry and frown and digest what is being said together, praying together. Friends, the, these are the means of grace that God has given us in the pandemic and our government's response to it. It's like standing on the supply line, cutting off the spiritual oxygen to our bloodstream. And simply today, we are weak. We're weak. I want us to hear today the Lord Jesus saying to him, Ah, yes, I know. I know, verse 8, I know your works. I know you have but little power. But can you see that I have much power? Can you see how strong I am? The doorway to me is all you need and it will never be shut. It will never be shut. You have but little power. You know, that, that, that is not something churches seek, is it? Elders gathering, presbyteries gathering. How do we pursue weakness as a church? What, is, what does it look like to cherish weakness? No, no one does it. No conferences about it. No, no books written about how to strategize it. I want to ask us today, will we be better off or worse as a church in five years' time? Will we be better off or worse as a church in five years' time? Let's say the pandemic is past. It's consigned to memory, distant memory. We're, we're singing again. There are ministry trainees in our midst. There are students in our church family. There are, there are children running the corridors, babies in our midst. New life is flowing through the building. Did you know it is possible, friends, in spiritual terms? It is possible in spiritual terms... We need to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ here. Remember Sardis last week? You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. It is possible in spiritual terms to have so much life that covers death. Spiritual death. It is possible, friends, in five years' time to have more than we have now and to have less. It is possible to have Oh, so little now and to have everything, everything. Church in Smyrna, in, in Sardis, sorry, you are alive but dead. The church in Philadelphia, you have but little power. You are weak, but you have me, me. Ah, which one do we want? Which one do we want? I was walking this week with a friend uh, in our city and we walked down a side street uh, in a rough part of town. There were no bright lights, no headlines, no big names. And 
Right in front of us was a small, tiny church. That's what I mean. As I, I looked at this church building, no, no bright lights, no big names have ever graced this particular church premises. And I, and I thought as we walked past this really quite unattractive building, nothing about it to make people think, I want to go in there. And I thought as we were walking right at that particular moment, people were in Holyrood, in, in the corridors of power, in beautiful grand buildings, people were in Hollywood fighting for their good names. They were people. People were willing to throw their closest friends under buses to vindicate their own names, to save their own reputations. And as I looked at this small, odd, unusual church as we walked past it, marginalized, overlooked utterly ignored in the world, in the eyes of the world. I thought of all the generations that have come and gone through that building over the years from that tiny church and no one knows their names, but Jesus knows. And Jesus knows that where people have been weak and despised and overlooked, he knows where, verse 8, they have not denied his name. Oh, it's, it's his name that counts, isn't it? Not our names. He knows them. He knows their names. That's the first thing to see here, all to do with who Jesus is, the Holy One, the True One, the key holder, the door, the gateway. Weakness brings you up close to Christ, the gateway to life, and says, if you have him, you have everything. Number one, the Lord Jesus uses weakness to show us who he is. Point number two, point number two, the Lord Jesus uses weakness to show us what he gives. He uses weakness to show us what he gives, not not just who he is. These holy and true hands of the Lord Jesus in verse seven, holding the keys to his kingdom. He has other things in his hands to give us. And I I want to finish today by just walking us through these things that Jesus gives to his weak people here and and letting them speak for themselves. Look what Jesus gives here, three great reversals. That's what Jesus gives, three great reversals here. You know, friends, isn't this the gospel? Isn't this the same Lord Jesus that we know, that we've come to know through the gospels? What does Jesus say? The first will be last. The first will be last. The way to live is to die. The way to find your life is to lose it. Oh, friends, never think that the Lord Jesus here in the book of Revelation, eyes of fire, feet like bronze, two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. No, it is the same Lord Jesus that we know. It is all about reversal, life with Christ. Look at it here. Three end time swapping of the price tags. A great switch. Three great reversals. Verse 9. Exaltation in place of persecution. Exaltation in place of persecution. Look at verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. See, this little church in Philadelphia, this church has been hounded by Jews who say that the Lord Jesus is not the long-promised Messiah. 
The Jews are saying to these Christians in Philadelphia, you are merely a sect. You need to forget about Jesus. Come back into the Jewish fold. Jesus was executed by Rome. He was a pretend prophet, a failed Messiah. We are the real people of God, the real Jews. Come back to us. And here the Lord Jesus says, You forfeit the claim to be God's people if you cannot see who I am. I want to say that again. You forfeit the right to call yourself part of God's people if you cannot see who Jesus is. Persecute somebody for belonging to Jesus. And you are not a holy synagogue, a holy gathering. What does Jesus say you are? A satanic gathering. I always remember Rico Tice, the evangelist in London, I always remember Rico Tice saying, sometimes, sometimes the devil does his best work in a dog collar. Sometimes organized religion does the devil's best work. Many of Christ's people know that their deepest wounds have come from people in religious settings. And all friends, look at the reversal. Look at the reversal. Christ gives exaltation in place of persecution. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. and They will learn that I have loved you. Ah, do you know, friends, at the end, the nations will flow to Zion. The nations will flow to us. Remember Isaiah chapter 60, the kings of the earth will come like birds flocking, returning after winter, returning to where they belong. All the nations of the earth will come. What does the book of Revelation say at the end? The kings of the earth will take their glory in both hands and bring it into the new Jerusalem. No, the very people who lifted up sword and gun and bomb to crush Christ's people underfoot, the very people that did that will come and bow before us. The people who hate you now will learn that Jesus loves you. Exaltation in place of persecution. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Do you see the second one? Permanence in the place of weakness. Permanence in the place of weakness. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar. A pillar in the temple of my God. Do you know what pillars have? Here, here around this room, you can't see it on camera, but dotted around this room are, what, eight, six, seven pillars. What do pillars have? Power. Pillars have power. There is a, a gallery above me that is held up by strong, powerful pillars. They run through the floor all the way down, upholding this floor. People say it all the time, don't they? They, they? they point to people and say, ah, he or she, they're, they're a pillar of the church. Some of us today think we're just the doormats of the church. People walk all over us all the time. We are the forgotten nobodies. If we didn't show up when lockdown ended and we came back together, nobody would miss us. 
Jesus says, I am going to change that for you. I'm going to change that for you forever. I'm going to change that for this overlooked, underappreciated, over-criticized, wrongly despised little church. You will be in my house permanently forever. You see that? Never shall he go out of it. Never shall he go out of it. Pillars are like that, aren't they? They, they just stand there and stay there forever. Here's the third thing, the last thing. Permanence in a place of weakness. Number three, belonging in place of exclusion. This is what Jesus gives, friends. Verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And I will write on him my own new name. We've seen this already, haven't we? Chapter 2, the church in Pergamum, they they get a new name given to them. And here in chapter 3, this goes off the scale. Branded with the name of God himself. And branded with the name of where God lives. There are few things more precious than our names. Isn't that right? Few things more precious than our names. I thought that this week, watching the Salmon and Sturgeon show in Holyrood, I thought what they are doing is fighting with every breath they have for their name, for their reputation, trustworthy or not, believable or not, honest or not. It's what Meghan Markle is fighting for. Bully or bullied? Oh, to put a a name on someone is so important. It means everything to us. To put a beautiful name on someone. Oh, it's priceless. To To put a name on someone that changes your circumstances, that takes you from being excluded, despised, overlooked, and instead brings you right in and makes you special and loved. You know, in our family, we have a new nephew, relatively new nephew, who we haven't met yet. Our family over here haven't met him. Zachary Gibson. Yeah, Zach, Zach is one of my brother and his wife's four children. And the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about Zach is that he's adopted. Zach is an adopted child. He was taken from a situation of pain and difficulty and immense heartache. And placed in a home of love and warmth and unambiguous welcome. Unambiguous welcome. My brother and his wife have have said to someone who was not born into this family. They've taken someone not born into this family. And they've opened the door and they've said, come in. We're going to put our name on you, Zachary Gibson. And that adoptive name is going to give you as much rights as blood rights. Not one iota of difference between you and our other children. Not one iota of difference. You are ours. God does not allow us to stay with the idea that we are strong. Oh, we may have that idea, but the Lord is going to disabuse us one way or another, and it will be good for us, and it will give glory to him when he does so. 
Dear friends, do you know how weak the church is? Do you know how weak we are? We, we, we think we're strong, don't we? Look what Jesus says. You are, you are like the kind of person flailing around, lost and excluded and overlooked and marginalized and ignored. And I am going to take you and put my name on you. You know, all down through the years, I, I've heard people talk about their church, different churches. And whenever they're effectively telling me that their church is weak, Nearly always, not always, but nearly always, people explain how poor their church is or how weak their church is. Nearly always there is a sense of shame. You know, we're not, we're not big. You know, we've only got this in mind or we've only got that. It's not like that church over there. Our, you know, our minister's okay. It's not like that minister. We've got problems. The budget's shrinking. People are leaving. Maybe there are real problems to be addressed in churches like that. Brothers and sisters, isn't it true, though? So often we miss the fact that weakness is meant to point us to a strong Savior. So often we miss the fact that strong churches so quickly lose sight of a weak, suffering Savior. Strong churches focus on strength and pride and all the things that make the world tick. Weak churches have set in front of them a doorway to Christ that is always open. Brothers and sisters, so may it be. One of my greatest, deepest longings is for us to say all our days, we are weak, but Jesus is everything to us. Everything. So may it be always and forever. Amen.